Welcome to another episode of the Unapologist Podcast, where the best PD happens in your backyard. Tonight, we have the man who Shakespeare plagiarized, Christopher Polson. <laughs> Shakespeare plagiarized me, but I just realized something. Vito, you're What's the Lion that? King. Oh. <laughs> what? <laughs> okay, I was not expecting that one. I knew you wouldn't be expecting it, but it works. Oh, it, I, in some way, in some universe, it does. Thank you. It, Vito McKenzie hey, on this All end. the Lion King is is Hamlet. Oh, my goodness. This has been another episode of the Unapologist <laughs> Podcast. <laughs> How are you doing this week, Chris? I'm doing great. It's uh, it's been a, It's been a really good week. Uh, really grinding hard in the classroom, uh, doing the best I can in my in my in my role as chaplain. We had our parent teacher interview night, which is over the phone now, and that was a is a really good night. Uh, just you know, going through the positive motions. Um, really, uh, my 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 boat isn't rocked in any way, shape, or form right now, though. I feel as though. I'm at the cusp of that happening. So I'm readying myself. I'm readying myself for the coming storm. How are you doing, bud? Well, well, that's that's a very good way of putting it. Readying for the storm, as we're all in it at this point. Battening down the hatches. We are. So at this point, uh, it it was uh, scheduled to be our March break at this time of recording. But uh, given the situation with the pandemic, that break was moved to april so we're all feeling a little tired this week and the the nice thing is that everyone's feeling it from students to parents to teachers so we're just kind of taking it easy this week i've been very fortunate to have some really good classes um this, these last two octomesters although they go fast and they're tiring and most days i feel like a a repo man calling people like you know you gotta <laughs> or um <laughs> You, you got to get to get to class because every class you miss is like so much um, and, and work just happens so fast. Uh, it's we're getting there. We're getting there. And the nice thing is, is that everyone's kind of got a rhythm now. And we're just now kind of waiting for that next cycle to happen. So it's been, it's been OK. I'm, I'm glad to hear it's been OK. I've been meaning to ask you. So so the students and the teachers who are doing in-person learning where you are. Are they doing octomesters as well, or is that kind of like traditional style schooling? Uh, so in-person uh, teaching is doing something called quadmesters. Oh, the old quadmester. Quadmesters. So instead of doing, f- uh, instead of students having four courses per semester, they're doing two, three. Uh, we can ask our guests in the show today. Uh, two, two courses uh, per for half a semester, and then another two courses the other half of the semester. Okay. So, so it's in a cohort, one day on, one day off. So it's 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 a system <laughs> we're all going to hope that is gone by the end of ne- by the end of this year. But anyway, Chris, enough about us. Come on, enough about us. We've, We've been gotta, talking way too we got long. A special guest tonight. Oh, a do we ever? Guest. Do we ever? So we have a guest tonight who's been teaching for seventeen years now. He's taught grades eight to twelve. English, writer's craft, drama, religion, business, geography, math, a man for all seasons, if you will. Uh, he's worked in student success, resources, substitute admin, he's coached. Uh, he currently coaches the esports team. Like, how awesome is that? He started a guy's read program, which we're going to talk about tonight. He's received not one, but two, okay, Chris, two 
Pathways for Success Literacy Awards. You know, I'm still aiming for like teacher of the day. And like, <laughs> <laughs> I just want to be the best teacher in the classes that I actually teach. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get there one day. He's a sports fan. He's a gamer. He's a big Wheel of Time uh, fan. And, and I know he keeps bugging me to finish a series and I'll get to it. I promise. He's a big reader. He's a writer. He's ha- He has a book out right now. He's also a father. And every time you mention his name to people, they're like, oh, I love that guy. And and then that's the thing I hate about him is because you can't find any fault with him because you just love him so much. We have Brett Walker with us on the show. Brett, welcome to the show. Welcome to the show, Brett. Wow. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for having me, guys. Pleasure to be here. Oh no, it's that's this is our pleasure. We uh, <laughs> we Pleasure's come here to, all in the West. <laughs> we come we come here to steal ideas from teachers. It's our secret ulterior motive. <laughs> it's the best best way to do it. How uh, how are you holding up there, Brett? Everything okay with you? <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Um, there's actually some benefits to this quad mastering thing. Please uh, jump into it. Jump in. Jump let's go. In. Normally we, but let's let's start with that. We were already talking about it. For students, they only they only have to focus on two courses at a time. So it's you know it does go fast and it's it's a lot at once. But in some ways, you know, juggling two is is a lot easier than juggling four at a time. So there's all these slight benefits. The longer courses, you know, can be the longer class hours can be a little hard at times, but it also, you know, slows down the pace in class. And there's a lot that can get done in, in a good two and a half hour chunk that in a 75 minute block, you know, wasn't always possible. It's been a huge shift in, in, in education, how we approach it. But, you know, there's some things that, that I have actually enjoyed in this change. Oh, that's awesome. But no, yeah, I'm, I'm really, really happy, happy to hear that. that. Really happy to hear that because I know what was tough for me was pacing a three-hour class every day yeah. uh, online. But now I'm like, oh, now I know. I, I yeah, you you can do a lot more in that time, and as long as you're not trying to do too much, you can focus more a little bit. I love it. I think that's uh, really interesting. Class times in my school division are uh, are ninety minutes, and I I have always found that like that longer class, that just that little bit more than seventy five you really can either hit the last thing you need to talk about or give that extra bit of time to work on things. So it's really it's really nice to hear that the things that were put into place have benefits. You know, it's so easy during these kind of difficult and, and strange times to see the negatives. I'm really happy that you came on and we're like, actually, there's some good stuff. <laughs> yeah, shut up, Vito. <laughs> there's good stuff happening. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it'll stay, but uh, you know, it's, it's, it hasn't been all bad. Well, and and I've heard from other teachers too that it, it's really for you know your struggling or your high risk students. It's been good for them because they know they get that break every other day, and then they can come in. You get more one on one time with them with the longer classes. So I, I, I've definitely have heard that. So we'll, we'll see. Maybe we'll make something of it. I don't know. But you know, one thing we like to do with all our guests, and uh, I know we jumped right in, but we, we really want to hear your story. Like we always like to ask our guests what their story is. So can you can you tell us what got you to where you are today and all the twists and turns you have in education this is the 24-hour podcast right yeah. it is this is the 20 this is a special 24-hour episode okay um all right well i'll give you the quick version um when i was in grade one uh they had a poetry writing contest and the poem that i wrote happened to get published in this anthology between schools and it was a really terrible poem but seeing it print was so rewarding for me that, you know, it was that first little little spark. In grades three, I started writing parody stories. I did one, a parody of the, the show Alf. You remember that one from the 90s? It was called Ralph. And then I did another one uh, on <laughs> family. Cats, right? <laughs> yeah. Another one on family ties. Uh, it was called Family Cries. So these were, this was like, and I'd write these just on my, on my own for fun. And then uh, 
got together with uh, some other guys in, in the grade and we started writing these Mad Max stories. And we had this little little writing club in grade three and it was so much fun. And that really, you know, was, was the first inspiration for, you know, the, the love of writing and, and the word. But then it wasn't until later when I got really into reading. And the first book that really hooked me was Sam Smith's documentary, The Jordan Rules. And if you've watched The Last Dance, which uh, any basketball fan has, they mentioned that book in there quite a bit. But it was like a, a behind-the-scenes look at the Chicago Bulls and everything that went on. And I was just so fascinated uh, learning all these details that you know nobody else knew necessarily. From there, you know, I got into reading, and then I picked up the series called Fighting Fantasy by Ian Livingston and Stephen Jackson. It's like Choose Your Own Adventure uh, mixed oh, with with D and D. Yes. Okay. Yes. That, those are single person D and. Okay, I did have one of those. Yes, those are phenomenal. Yeah, and you you have dice, and you come across monsters, and you roll the dice and see if you kill them or or die, and then you know you start back over, and it's it was just it was a lot of fun to read them, and they were quick, fast paced books, um, so I just ate those up, and then I got into uh, more fantasy with Raymond E. e. Uh, Feist and his Magician series, mm-hmm. and from there. I got into uh, RPG video games, and he wrote the game Betrayal at Crondor, which is a you know a very early RPG. But it was it just mesmerized me how you could get sucked into this other world um, and play this other characters. So that really was my love of reading. That led to you know video games, and and I still you know had a lot of fun with writing. And it wasn't until high school when I got into Robert Jordan's Wheel of Time, which you mentioned already. It took me 20 years to to finish it. Um, <laughs> it took, you know, you know, unfortunately, sadly, Robert Jordan never finished it in his lifetime and had to go on to uh, ghostwriter Brandon Sanderson, who I thought did an excellent job finishing up the series personally. And I'm super excited for the, the Wheel of Time on Prime coming out someday. We don't know when. Uh, to keep going the story, in high school... Um, you know, I really enjoyed English class. I kept reading, kept writing. I ended up taking writer's craft in OAC. Um, what I actually was good at, though, was math and sciences. And those were the courses where, you know, I did the, the best. And I was really leaning to go into engineering. Um, at one point, I, you know, looked into becoming a video game designer. And then I realized that meant sitting for 68 hours a week coding and realized that's not, you know, how I wanted to spend spend my days. I'm somebody who needs to be active, to be moving. If I sit still too long, then well, now I start getting back pain because I'm getting old. But that's not for me. And it was in grade OAC, so back when we had grade 13. I don't know if you guys are are uh, old enough to remember that, but oh, I, I was the there. cohort year. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, oh, one of the cohorts. It was my OAC English teacher and also my rugby coach, uh, Ruggles Pritchard, who suggested I become a teacher. And he was also the one who suggested the College of Humanities, which was a relatively new program at Carleton at the time when I was applying to universities. It was just in its second year. So when I got in there, I was the third year. So nobody had actually graduated from the program. And that really opened my eye, my mind to to great books, to you know, a wide range of literature, religion, ideas, philosophy. And it was just such an enriching program that had all these great opportunities. In my third year, I, I got to go on exchange to England and spent a year uh, studying there near the near the Great Lakes District where the Romantics wrote Dove Cottage, 
and William Wordsworth. Um, but it was just immersed in that that whole whole area. It was it was amazing. After university, I took a year off, and I spent most of that year writing and then working various jobs. And while I really enjoyed the writing process, I realized a I couldn't sit still all day. And B, this wasn't going to pay the bills anytime soon. So that's when I started looking into, you know, careers and, and teachers college was, you know, the path that I was kind of pursuing the most of the time. And when I got into teaching, um, I had some great mentors at the time. And it, I found teaching combined all my passions. So I loved reading. I love writing and teaching English. You know, it's what you do all day. Uh, I enjoyed sports. I love playing football and basketball and in high school, you can become a coach. I coached, you know, sports for many years and still do. And, and video games. And now, as you mentioned, we're the only thing running right now is, is this eSports League, which um, has been amazing for the OCSB. And it's got a lot of students engaged in something outside of, of school and they're passionate about. We actually, St. Pius actually took home the championship for Super Smash Brothers uh, a few weeks ago. So, <laughs> that is so cool. Just knowing that there is an esports team at your school. Like that, that's so cool. And there's about 10, at least 10 schools involved, maybe more at this point, because uh, they keep adding. Right now they're playing Rocket League, and they've got a plan for a few more. So, um, you know, kudos to, uh, to Kevin Kelly and, and the others involved in organizing it. They've done a, a fantastic job. I, I, I say coach, but I use that light, that term loosely because uh, really the kids know how to play the games, and we just help help make it happen. Yeah, the finals was super intense. Like, we were all watching uh, through through uh google meet and it was it came down to like the last second so it was it was really fun it's that's like those, amazing it's like those giant starcraft uh tournaments where like it's satellite like streamed and everyone in the world is watching who cares and then it's yeah it's intense that's awesome that's awesome keep going yeah so i've always had infinity for working with with young people kids teens um they're just, they're so, they have such an honest way of looking at the world. They're not jaded by the cynicism of society as, as um, many adults and older people are. So it's, it's, it's so much fun working with them because, you know, how, how they see things, how they, they perceive things uh, is, is always interesting. So I got into teacher's college, did my practice teaching, and, and I was, you know, really fortunate that at the time uh, they were they were hiring teachers and I, I got a position at Leshby Pearson. They hired a, a few of us at the same time. And then I spent seven years there, really, you know, learned so much, lots of great educators around me and a lot of people, you know, willing to to help out and say, you know, you know, here's here's some advice. Here's here's what it takes. You know, what do you need? Like that's what I found early on in my teaching. Like it was hard. It's it's not easy when you're a brand new teacher and you you know nothing and they throw you into the the wolves, so to speak. And you know, kids they sense it. They they know, okay, this this guy's new. He doesn't know what he's doing. But I, I just, you know, I learned so much in, in those those first few years and I got, you know, to to take on the role of student success there, which which was another awesome learning experience. And then the opportunity came to apply for a department head position with the board. And so I applied, not, not thinking anything would happen anytime soon, but uh, sure enough, I got a call. And they offered me a position at St. Pius the Tenth High School, which which was kind of neat because that's where I had done uh, one of my practice teaching um, bouts. So it was a place I knew it was relatively close to home, and you know it was a great opportunity. And working there, you know, both places is, has been amazing. 
uh, again, great, great educators all around. And so many people that, that, you know, you can learn from every day. And one of the things I, you know, firmly believe is every person we come across in our lives, we can learn something from. And I've been, you know, blessed with having lots of great mentors, lots of great colleagues, and, you know, a, a ton of students that I've, I've learned so much from. I've probably learned, you know, more from my students than, than I've taught them in the past 17 or so years. But I, I love teaching. I, I, I tell the kids um, it's something I enjoy going to every day. I, I get to do everything I love and, and work with young minds and, and help, you know, help, help them grow and help them learn and help them find their way in the world. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm, it's a privilege to, to be able to, to do that everything, every single day. I, I love that you go in happy and excited about what you do every day like that. That is huge, huge. And, and as you said, kids can sense when you're a new teacher, but they can also sense when you love what you do. They, they can really sense that. They know when you're there because you love it and when you're there for the paycheck or you're just grinding it out. They're always good at that. Now, th that, those first seven years, you, the school you were at, uh, we, you know, in our board, we call that an engagement school, quote unquote. Uh, other than the, the other nomenclature for it to be like an inner, inner city school, very diverse. And I, I remember one of my first contracts was there. <laughs> I got eaten alive so badly. First day in class, a fist fight broke out. <laughs> <laughs> I literally had to pick up the students and throw them in the halls. It was fantastic. But while you were there, you learn a lot. You learn a lot. The kids are honest with you. And that's one thing you always appreciate. But you started a, a, a guys read program there. Can, can you tell us more about that and like its purpose and successes and like what, what happened? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things I, I, I got interested early on uh, in my career in a lot of PD, I saw it was in boys and literature and, and engagement. Like literacy is the foundation for, for all learning. And with, without literacy, you're, you're going to struggle. Right. And, almost every single subject in school, you know, with, you know, a few exemptions, literacy is the base. So those, you, what a lot of the studies showed and what, what, you know, you're seeing in front of us was there were a lot of young boys who were, you know, not readers, not considered themselves readers, you know, disengaged from school in a lot of ways, struggling in school, you know, doing poorly on, on um, standardized tests that, you know, have been a big fad. So the idea behind the program, and it, I didn't come up with the idea, Guys Read is a program by John Sazeka, and I took a lot of his ideas, and they had a whole, a whole thing, uh, um, chapters all over North America, and we just, we implemented it in the school. And so it, um, a lot of other male colleagues uh, joined on board, um, and the idea behind it was to A, engage young guys in reading, and B, have male role models to show that it's cool to read. Right? And, you know, a lot of male adults, you know, do spend a lot of time reading, and, and it's not a, it's it's okay to do that, and you can get a lot out of it. So we got a lot of people involved, and we engaged them with things that they liked. So we used sports, we used video games, um, we used the things that we thought would bring them in, food, okay, you know, when you provide food, they come, they show up. And with that, we talked about books and we, we gave them books and we, we bought books that we thought they might enjoy, they might get into. And then we asked them, you know, what do you want to read about? And so we got a good budget. We got funding for it and we had t-shirts made the whole shabam and it was fairly successful. Like, uh, 
the the guys bought into it. They, you know, engaged in the reading, and you know, we felt that it that it made a, a huge difference for a lot of those uh, young men at the time. The other part of that is is you know showing them that reading comes in many different forms. Like we often think when we say reading, we think, you know, taking a, a big novel and, and sitting down and reading it from cover to cover. But there's so many other forms of reading out there and so many other other genres and types. Nonfiction is reading when you, you know, open up a newspaper, when you open up news apps, you're reading graphic novels. That's reading. You need to do the same things when you're reading a text or a regular novel as you do with a, a graphic novel. Informational. Right? There's lots of things that many people, many kids are reading all the time, but the perception is, you know, that's not quote unquote reading. What I really like that I'm hearing as this story too, is like what an opportunity for staff members, regardless of they, if they've been teaching for two years or 25 years to really take on a, a mentorship and a role model role with young people. I think that's so powerful to teachers at any age to be able to make those types of connections that are, you know, still school based, but not necessarily in the classroom. I think that's huge because, you know, me as the teacher, I can say, hey, this book's really awesome and I think we should read it. But like when I'm going out of my way, I think that's a massive statement for educators to be able to make. Yeah, absolutely. And another one of the books uh, early on was a, a book called Boys Adrift by Leonard Sachs. And we actually we formed a, a book club with a few teachers from from various schools and did a, did a you know, a, little, a book study of it. And we created some some uh, resources from it. But it was, you know, it was a very eye opening book. And there's so many books like that out there that, you know, we as educators, you know, if we can find the time to to get into them, it, it really helps inform our practice and and engage the students. Was there any books in particular at that time that was really engaging them? Like, was there, was there something in particular that they all compelled to? Because I know like every few years there's a cycle of books that will hook any yeah. young person. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think back. There was a lot of, we bought a lot of um, anime and manga books. Um, those were, were pretty popular at the time. I'm to, I don't know. If Di, I don't think Diary of a Wimpy Kid was out just yet, but I know um, <laughs> my my son really enjoyed those ones. Now he's he's reading the the Last Kids on Earth. That's a, a pretty good series. There's a Netflix uh, cartoon of it too. It's oh, lots nice. of fun. Now at that same school, you were also in resource working like some of the with the highest at risk students, like students who were not showing up or were always in danger of losing the credits. But you you always seem to manage to engage them like really well. Like how how, how what was your approach? Well, like whether it's you know student success, uh, resource, or like any of the areas in the school where you're you're working with with students that have different needs, I think the approach is, is the same. And, you know, we, we use a lot of these terms uh, like at-risk engagement, but, it, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, most students are, are at risk of something and, and need to be gauged, engaged in some way. Um, even, you know, some of your top students academically are, are struggling with other things and, you know, we might not always know it. And for me with this, it's, it's all about connections. When I was in student success, we usually work with the students who failed a course and we work in credit recovery or, or, or something else. And the question I always ask is, is you know, wh why, why do you think you failed? And what do you think the most common answer is? I didn't do the work. Chris, or... any guess? 
I didn't know the material. Didn't. You'd think it's something like that. No. Um, the most common response that I got was the teacher didn't like me. The teacher oh, didn't like me. Wow. And, wow. and while we understand that's a misperception and not necessarily true, that's, that's their perception. And when you think about it, you know, what are, what are they saying? What are they really telling you? Well, to me, that's a young person who's going into a room every single day, five days a week for 75 to 90 minutes, who thinks the person who's at the front of the room hates them. And, and it it breaks my, it breaks my heart. And maybe not hate, maybe not hate, but just didn't like, have you seen the movie Freedom Raiders? Yes. Yeah. All right. There's, there's a line in there. And Aaron Gruel is in the, you know, the principal's office with her, her department head played by Dolores Umbridge. And she's getting grilled and Aaron turns to her and says, how can you teach them? You don't even like them. And education is all about relationships and, and forming those relationships. And when our own kids start school, right? Vito, I know you have young kids. Chris, yes. Five and a one-year-old. Okay. What's... The first question we usually ask them when they start school. What did you do today? What's your favorite subject? Did you make any friends? Did you make any friends? And about teachers, we usually ask, do you like your teachers? Right. Yeah, that that one too, yeah. Okay. And we use the term like, right? Because that's, you know, familiar with us. But it's, I think it's more than that. I think it's more, what we're asking is, do they know me? Do they care about me? Do they see me? Is there a connection? And so the key, I believe, to to engagement is looking at how we make those connections and make them meaningful and make them authentic. The vice, one of the vice piece of advice I got first started that really stuck with me was I had a student that I was challenging me. Um, I was really struggling every day, pretty much. And James Tucker came and he knew him well and had good good success with the student. And he said, he said, find find something that you like about them. And so what that forced me to do is get to know this student. And once I got to know him and learn more about him and find something that I could connect with, then things started to change. And so one way to do that, what was the first question you guys asked me? What's your story? What's your story? What's your story? And all life, pretty much everything, you know, in the world can be reduced down to a series of stories. How we got here, how this was created, who I am, you know, it's a series of stories. And one thing that's really, you know, shaped my, my being as a, an educator is, is I've been teaching writer's craft for the last um, few years. And through writer's craft, you get to learn so much about your students through their writing. And they write memoirs. Some of them have written memoirs. We do, we've been doing a slam poetry workshops and we've got um, two, uh, spoken word poets that come in and they do these workshops and the transformation in the students is just, it's unbelievable. They go from a lot of them at the beginning are very shy and, you know, don't really want to share, but these two that come in, it's Candace, Candace Burr and Ray Guillermo, Array of Words. And they just, they have a way of getting the students to open up and, and share their stories in, in a way that is expressive and honest and raw and what comes out of it just it always like just stuns me with silence that 
they have all this inside of them and and they want to let it out but sometimes you know they just they don't know how or they don't have that opportunity and so another cool thing about the quad masters is the long periods and the breaks so when we go on break as a class you you get that time to actually talk to students in a 75 minute chunk it's come out come in let's get the lesson done right here's the homework okay we'll see you tomorrow off to the next class but really everything's forced me personally to slow down and say what's really important right which i think is something most people need to do absolutely yeah and and you know how do we make that connection and, you know, Chris and I are huge, huge advocates of a narrative approach to education. I mean, Chris wrote uh, his last book was on that, actually. And so, you know, we're, we're totally with you on that. I mean, um, I've reframed my last theme in my English course to we are wired for stories. And that, that's all we look at. Like, we learn everything through story. Phenomenal. Like, I mean, this is uh, kind of leading into where we want to go next anyway, because, mm-hmm. you know, you, you've you've brought it up so many times right now, like, like cultivating an obvious love of literacy in your students. Okay, you love teaching English. You're, you're, you're a department head of it. You, you bring so much. You make those connections to the students. You, you've won awards for what you do. Um, so the, like the two questions we wanted to ask was like, like, where do you start when it comes to cultivating that love of literacy in young people? Uh, you already talked about getting to know them. Is that where it starts or does it go further than that? Yeah, no, it definitely, that's exactly what I, what I had in my notes here is you got to get to know your student and, and where they're at in their, you know, not just their life, but in their reading journey. One of the common myths out there is that young people don't read. I, you know, I hear that all the time. They don't read, but, um, and I can tell you for a fact that that's not true. And there's many teens that are reading like crazy and some of them might not be reading in the traditional way that we would classify reading. But then there are many who are like devouring book after book after book. I have to tell my daughter to stop reading at night so she can uh, get get some sleep. So yes, it's getting to know them. That's that's where it has to start. And it's hard because and I've really learned a lot in the last year or so doing a lot of work with own voices literature and uh, Indigenous literature about, you know, the importance of seeing yourself reflected in what you're reading, the importance of variety, reading a variety of texts from different authors, from different perspectives, different beliefs, and how that can open up your mind to everything that's out there. I've always said that like reading is, is a window into the human soul. And by reading a wider variety of, of literature, which I've you know really made a, a habit and goal of, it just it opens up so much in your mind, in your heart, uh, and your soul. And so the other thing is is getting those books into the hands of of students. I'm a firm believer that all it takes is one book, one book to hook you. And there's over 130 million books in the world. Apparently, I just googled that. <laughs> I, I, I thought it was more. I love that. I thought there'd be like billions, but no, 130 million apparently. Like in 2010, there was some study. I don't, who knows? Is, is, is that through traditional publishers? Because I know with the indie publish movement, that's that like some of those are that number. It seems a bit low to me. Yeah, I thought it, I thought it was way low. So yeah. Uh, Any listener, only... if you have the actual number, <laughs> send us an email. <laughs> yeah. Let's do some fact checking here. So I've spent a lot of time uh, and effort and, and money into you know, building my own library. I like to go to Value Village. You can get four books, and when you buy the fifth one, it's free. And prices for 
teen books can be as cheap as a dollar fifty if you get the right one. But even still, there are other other books, and there's a huge, there's a like a great selection in there, and it's constantly being renewed as people drop off old books they're not reading anymore. Church sales are a great place uh, to get discount books. But one, well, I'll share one other story with you that really has stuck with me, and this was my first year. There was a student that I was teaching and she was in the hospital and I went to visit and I brought a book and the book I brought was Confessions of a Shopaholic. And I just, you know, I gave it to her and I said, oh, you know, here's a book you can read. And I didn't think much of it, but it was years later that I happened to get tagged in a, a, a social media post saying that that book was what sparked her, her love of reading. And, wow. That's so and, cool. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And I, I like, I honestly, you know, thought nothing of it at, at the time, but you know, that little thing and that, that, that putting a book in a student's hand and saying here, I think you might like this. That can be all it takes. And that, that speaks to me too. That speaks absolute layers to what you've been saying from the start of coming on the show tonight. It's not just here's a book, you know, that's the, the physical action is, is, is giving this book. But what you're actually saying is I'm thinking about you. I know who you are because I can recommend this and I care about you. It's, it's, it's a massive, massive gesture to me. And I think it just, it just affirms everything you've already said. Yeah. But, and just the, the act of, you know, building that classroom library and connecting and saying, you know, here, like, let's get you the right book. Like that took me until I think four years ago to realize that that's what I needed to do. And that's when I started building my classroom library as well, but it makes a world of difference. Like, wow. I know you do it with your classroom, but your department head, how, how do you ignite that same love for it among the staff in your department? Yeah, uh, great question. Luckily for me, I you know I work with you know such an amazing group of educators that that it it doesn't really take much. We when the board offered the 180 days uh, book club, a bunch of teachers just you know jumped on board right away, and that's really sparked a lot of things in our in our department. So we created a, a bulletin board where it's each teacher what we're reading what we're reading now what we're going to read and and what we um just finished and so we put a visual display in the hallway and then we're all linked to 180 days because we're all all sharing that there too but it shows the students hey we're we we read here's what we're reading and it shows each other us teachers and then it you know it helps us accountable if that book's up there for a long time it means hey we're uh <laughs> so it, it, you've been reading that one for about three months sir yeah <laughs> We actually, we actually can't change the pictures fast enough to keep up, but like it's, it really, you know, forced me to say, Hey, you know, let's spend some time. I love reading, but I just, sometimes it's like, you know, life comes up and you're like tired at the end of the day. And you know, there's something really good on Netflix and you just, you, it it falls by the wayside. So for Lent, I said, I'm going to give up watching TV at night. And that's forced me to go back and get back into reading. So part of it is living it. You can't just, you know, talk the talk. You've, you've got to, you've got to live it yourself. But this 180 days book club is, has sparked another thing. And we're now as a department reading gutter child by JL Richardson, mm-hmm. which I'm really, you know, excited about not just reading the book, but, but being able to, to talk about it and, 
and dive into it because there's so much, you know, going on in society right now in the world in education that literature, as you guys said, you know, stories is is a way to, to dive into it. So for us as educators, you know, this is the perfect opportunity for us. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Huge. Well, and I, I saw that board too. Like that was really, really cool. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm stealing that idea. <laughs> yeah. Cause what I, used, I used to like print out the covers of the books I read and tape them on the, on the, uh, the wall of my classroom and they would like yeah. go around the room. And my students would be like, Oh, so you're going to get to the, all around the room this year. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> Depending on how much you, uh, when you yeah, start adding the children's books in that you read to the little kids at night, it's a little easy. <laughs> not to discount children's books. Hey, not at all. Not at all, my yeah, friend. Yeah. Well, and, and yeah, I've been reading with my, my son a lot at night. So I've started saying, hey, here's books I want to read. And now let's read them together. We just we finished uh, Ready Player Two. All right. Well, let's uh, let's let's keep the train uh, train ride going then. So obviously, you're you're a big believer in innovation when when it comes to not only engaging students but with the language arts or English class. Uh, so, what are some of the innovations that you've implemented or are implementing right now that seem to have the biggest results? I I call it disproportionate results. The effort you put in gets ridiculous uh, output from it afterwards. What methodologies have worked for best for you in your department? Wow, I wish I knew. <laughs> for me, it's it's making making it fun and making it fun while you know holding that educational value to it. Right? So not just you know throwing it out. Hey, we're gonna you know play a game today. We're gonna play a game, but we're going to learn through doing this. And there's so many digital tools. So going online has really you know forced us to say what are some really good digital tools we can we can use for the writing purpose and so one one of my favorite websites out there is this website called twinery.org i don't know if you've heard of it i, I haven't i d- i do use come for refresh my memory on what it is it's it's basically a build your choose your own adventure style story okay yes yes i remember i yes because my friend of mine was looking into it years ago and he's written a few since then when I first came across this, it was at a, at, a, at a conference, and I'm like, oh my god, this is the coolest thing ever invented. So basically, the way the website works, it's, it's open source, and you go in, you type the beginning of your story, and then you, you put the options, and then it creates this whole grid of all the different ways your story could go. And then you can go and build each different, each different story path as you see fit. And so... I showed this to a writer's craft class just this week and we played around with it. And one of the students was like, why did you wait until now to show us this? <laughs> and they, they just, they were so in, in, engrossed in the process of, of, you know, building these stories and then, and then sharing them and, and having fun playing them that, uh, you know, you forget, Hey, I'm, I'm learning here. Hey, I'm doing work here. And when you can forget that, that you're at school, then, you know, that's, that's the ultimate. Other stuff I've had a lot of fun with is uh, I love escape rooms. So going to an escape room, we've done that, but that's, you know, impossible right now. So I've really gotten into di- using digital escape rooms. And there's a bunch that are already made out there, but, but making them is, is a lot of fun too. It takes, takes a lot of time, but it's, it's a lot of fun. And then what I've done with a few classes is, is had them build their own digital escape rooms and the learning process 
you know, through doing that, what you have to, you know, plan out, creating the puzzles, finding ways to implement, you know, whatever we're learning about is such a, a, you know, a complex learning process that, you know, it's a really valuable learning experience, in my opinion. And going back to what you said, you know, that's fun. It's fun while holding educational value and educational merit. I, uh, with some of my, my grade 12s, I, I did this one digital escape room uh, where there was multiple screens to it. And only some of the students got to see the one screen, but they all mm. had to be working together, but they could only have one person who could actually talk to the other group. Oh, it's so cool. Oh, yeah. And then, but I think too, talking about like kind of like this hands-on using the digital tools, making it fun, making it kind of like, it's almost like, um, I want to say, it's almost like they don't realize that a lot of really good learnings happen. And at the end, like the payoff is huge because they're, they're pumped. They've just won. And I love that because it goes back to the passion of the fun. Because isn't, isn't like, isn't what we do the best? And like, aren't we so lucky? And, and, and the joy, I really get this, this, this thread of there's just this joy about you, Brett, in what you're doing. And I love it. Vito, I'm going to say it and I'm saying it early. You know what I'm going to say? Big vibes. Big vibes. There it is. <laughs> Big vibe moment already. We're not even. That's what I was going for. Going for the big vibes. <laughs> going for the big vibes. Well, uh, well I got one other going. thing. Mm-hmm. So the other thing that I've been really uh, trying to push is is writing for for an audience other than me. Okay. So right. you know most assignments. Okay, write this, do this. And I'm the only one who's going to read it. And I'm going to write stuff on it and give it back to you and tell you if it's good or not. Once we change that to let's write for everybody else, let's write for, you know, the school, let's write for a contest, it changes how you approach your writing. And you take it a little more seriously and there's more care and it's more it's more real, it's more authentic. So we've been doing a, a school newspaper. It was actually started by a group of students a few years ago. And then we took it on through some English classes, and then we stopped this year because, well, all the news was really sad and depressing. But we're working on an issue right now in in one of my classes and hope to have it out shortly. But I found when students wrote for that and they knew, okay, this is going to get published and, and people might actually read this, they take more care and pride in their work. Right? Instead of Oh, Mr. Walker is going to read this, and you know, I just want to do it to get it done. It's like, no, no, this is going to go out to other people, and along with that are our contests. And I've been really, you know, trying to push this because a lot of contests have nobody enter them, and there are often cash prizes um, that go unclaimed because you know people just don't feel like entering it. So um, I've had students, you know, submit, do writing for class that we're going to submit to a contest. And uh, a bunch of them have have won some really cool stuff. The coolest one was last year. Uh, It was a Canadian space agency put on a short story or sorry, children's story contest. And I had a, a, a really keen group of students at the time and they wrote stories for it. And we had an art class uh, illustrate their stories because you could submit illustrations and, one of the students won first place for 16 and over category and their prize was their story got read in the space station by David St. Jacques. Oh, oh my God. How awesome is That's that? That's so cool. Wow. 
yeah, I, I was like, oh man, that's amazing. Like, you know, she got to go to Montreal and there was a big ceremony. And so if we can provide more opportunities like that for students and students you know, on their own, they probably wouldn't submit to these. They might not even know about them. And even if you put it out there, say, oh, here's a contest. It's usually not enough. It's you got to say, hey, let's write something. Let's do something. Let's submit to this contest. And even in Ottawa, there's, there's a ton of great ones. Ottawa Public Library puts on a... Um, short story poetry and graphic writing contest each year um so the legion does a remembrance day poetry essay and art one so there's a bunch just within our own community that are great opportunities for students to write for for broader audiences than than me for them it feels real and that's what i think is uh, really nice about it it's not like this fake writing is what it is like just i'm writing for my teacher and that, that's 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 phenomenal. Let's jump out of the LA thing. Tie that to any any discipline, right? You know, change change that audience anywhere, and you're going to see some pretty amazing stuff. And so on on that note, and you said we can we can talk about it today. Can we talk about the five paragraph essay? And it's such a sacred cow of English teachers. And the last time I brought it up on Twitter, I had a professor from Denmark contact <laughs> me to to say to. to call me out on it and be like no it's like trying to get students to get to university math without knowing their multiplication tables i'm like actually no they, they can to be honest <laughs> um but it's such a sacred count can we can we can we talk about it like you you have you you had some finer points in it you have more tact when you talk to people and i don't so uh can, take me down that road please yeah and I, I remember replying to you on this and uh i don't remember what i said but uh, my <laughs> My view has changed too, uh, especially more recently. And what I will say in favor is that not every student, uh, you know, can just write. Not every student can just say, you know, I want you to do this and boom, they can go for it. And, you know, especially those who are still struggling with, with building their fundamental literacy skills, they often don't know where to start. And that's, that's the biggest roadblock for them to, to writing is I, I don't know. I honestly don't know how to start this. I don't know what to do first. And what the five paragraph structure does is provide a formula, provide a structure that takes them step by step into building an argument. And while it limits more experienced writers from, from breaking out and it can, it can be, you know, damaging uh, by limiting students to a structure formula, it, it does have its place in education, in my opinion. Is it the be all end all? No. And I'm, you know, I'm going to talk to my department next week. We've got something planned and, and my push is going to be move away from, from multi-essay writing in, in each course um, to various forms of writing. Does it mean we throw out the five paragraph essay? No, no, there's, it still has its place in, in learning, especially with those who are still developing, developing their, their, both the writing skills and, and their fundamental literacy skills. So yeah, like I said, you have more tact about it than, than I ever did. <laughs> I get you talking like, about, you know, you, you always say things so eloquently. Oh, <laughs> and, and always beating around the bush happy too. happy when you're done. <laughs> okay, well, I appreciate you saying that and providing that opinion. And and you know what, I, I, I as hard headed as I can be, I I absolutely hear what you're saying with that whole idea that you know for some students they need that structure in place, and this is a good entry point for them. So uh, you know, I, I appreciate that. 
Let's uh, let's let's look at life outside the classroom because you, you you coached a lot and you're doing the esports now, and I know it's tougher, but you are involved in the life of the community. So can you uh, can you talk to us about the importance of engaging students outside the the teaching role? Yeah, absolutely. The neat thing about coaching and and working with students outside a classroom setting is you get to know them in such a different way. And the rapport, and we talked about, you know, the importance of building connection. You can do it so much more effectively when you're in something like, uh, you know, a, a sports team where you have to build that community and you're working towards a common goal. And you also get that time. One of my favorite things, you know, every year is going to a tournament. Uh, where you have the whole day and you're just, you know, uh, we usually go to a a tournament for touch football at St. Joe's. And when it's a nice, beautiful day and you're just, you're out there playing football and having fun, like there's, you know, nothing beats that. And so that, you know, that's usually one of the days I look forward to the most in a regular school year, but there, you know, there's so much more than that. Like with the video game club, I've gotten to know students, you know, they probably would have known otherwise. And some of them I only, you know, met for the first time in real life the other day when we had t-shirts made and, and we gave them out and I'm like, Oh, okay, that's who you are. So nice to meet you. But I, you know, some are in my classes and, you know, we talk about video games, uh, when it's not class time learning. So it's, it's so important. And, you know, Sports gives gives you that opportunity. Clubs, whatever club you're running, you know, gives you that opportunity to get to know them in a different light, and they get to know you too in a different way. That you're not just, you know, that that guy who who hands out assignments and writes all over them. You're you're a person. You're a human being, and they want to know that. They they're they're curious. And I'm teaching religion now again for, you know, the I guess third time in my life. I, I'm really enjoying it, and I often I ask them. I say, you know, what what question, what do you want to know? And I say, you can ask about anything in the world. And most of our questions, you know, are, you know, what, what's my favorite movie? Uh, <laughs> what, what did I, you know, eat for breakfast that day? They're curious about who, who we are as people. They don't, they, yeah. There's, there's something about, um, they don't want the, the, the teacher robot. They want the human being. And that's what we have to bring with them. Hey Vito. Hey Chris. You're looking at your watch, my friend. I am. I'm looking at it right now. What have we got? Oh, buddy, it's that time of the night. It's that time. It is time for the Pulsing Points. Oh, Brett, you made it difficult for me today. I have a man. I have a. I have a personal. Uh, I have a personal uh, goal that I try to do five Pulsing Points. Well, I mean, yeah, I don't. Okay. Well, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna test you on this because I wrote my five before I started this. You wrote your five. Jeez, <laughs> I wrote I wrote my ten, and those are just the ones I circled. <laughs> I got a master. We hey, folks, listeners out there, I, I I really think tonight we got a master class in education and and what it means to be a teacher. And I'm actually gonna just go through all of them because you said some things that really struck a chord with me tonight, Brett, and I thank you for that. One of the first things that you said that I really picked up on, it's a privilege to teach. That hit home because it is. I've never gone to work a day in my life. I go to school and I love it. And and that really that really touched my heart. Another thing that I really liked about your story was that fascination really, you know, led way to passion. 
you're interested in these things and then they became these passions and then these passions became some a line of inquiry and this line of inquiry became this fabulous career and now you're touching all these other lives and i just think about our role as teacher like let that fascination like go for it no matter what you're teaching out there whether it's la whether it's religion whether it's math whatever those fascinations can lead us down some amazing paths hey students need role models whether it's books, whether it's sports, whether it's math, whatever, students need role models. Hey, teachers, be one. Most students, this, Brett, you hit me hard, you hit me hard with this one. Most students are at risk of something and they need to be engaged. Your top students, you might not know it, but they're at risk of something too. They need that engagement. And the key to engagement, how do we make connections? Make those connections. Another, Vito, like, do you see these Polson points just flowing off the page? Ask I your students. You. Ask your students. What's your story? You want to engage? Get their story. Ask them. And care. 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 Hey, there's an importance in seeing yourself reflected in your reading. Think about that when you're engaging your students and when you're offering them books and when you're bringing things into your classroom, that there's such an importance of seeing yourself reflected in what you're reading. I, I want to get this one put on a mug. All it takes is one book and you're hooked. Hey, friends, colleagues, listeners, all it takes is one book. And whether you need that one book to start your reading journey or whether you need to give that one book to start someone on their own, it can be... It can be confessions of a shopaholic and it might start something that you have no idea will go. Those classes, make it fun while holding on to educational value. It's such a privilege to be a teacher. Enjoy it. Bring that joy in. Make it fun. Don't lose the educational value, but make it fun. Hey, let's start thinking about assessments in terms of not just what you're going to give to the teacher, but ask who's the audience. Change it up. And hey, my friends, there's lots of value in engaging students in other roles within education, whether that's coaching, mentoring, club running, whether that's esports. Blown away. My head is blown by this guy. And of course, my friends, the big vibes. Here it is, the big vibe the of the night. The big vibes. Now, I only allow myself two. I wrote down four. I'm only going to say two. <laughs> Every person we come across in our life, we can learn from. Brett, you put on a masterclass for us tonight, and I thank you for that because y you really affirmed the biggest vibe. This thing we do, it's all about connections. Thank you so much for coming on the show tonight, Brett. I, I for one, am just blown away by what you had to say. I, I thank you for letting me have the, the front seat to this. Thank you. No, thank you, guys. It was uh an amazing opportunity and i appreciate it oh it was, it was so much fun to have you on thank you brett i, I i'm so excited to bring you on here so excited thank you and thank you for joining us for another episode of the unapologist podcast join us next week when we'll talk with great people learn new ideas and tell the story of teaching as it happens this is Vito and chris signing off Podcast.